Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. That was a little better. Junior church kids, stand up. Don't move. Oh, see, gotcha. Stand up. I want you to tell the adults how to say good morning. On the count of three, I want you to say good morning really loud. One, two, three. There we go. Now you can guys can go. Thank you. You may walk. Yeah. Always love seeing and hearing those kids, especially that they're not mine. Yeah. That's always a good feeling. So I have a question. There are lots of weird names. You can look on on the internet and you can find people who name their kids different names. Um, There was a, a set of twins that were born near where we grew up, and it was Para and Tossin. It was Para was the girl, Tossin was the boy, and their last name is Dice. Yes. There's a guy I know, Randy Barr. He, he named his daughter, Randy Barr named his daughter Candace, and they called her Candy. It, come on, I mean, do you want your kid to get beat up? But I said that to him. He goes, well, I just thought it was a sweet name. Yeah, I like Randy. He's got good dad jokes. So there are a lot of weird names out there. I have a question, though. How many of you have ever met a person named Judas? Isn't that? You have? You've met one person named Judas. Okay. Don't say it. Judah. That's Judah. Yeah. Judas. There, that is a big difference. There is a Judah. There's lots of Judas. So, I was expecting no one to raise their hand. I should have known Jen would, but they, they, we clarified that. Okay, so, some information I looked up on the internet. Judas is ranked 25,549th most popular. What that means is there are over 25,000 more popular names given in the United States. There is an estimate of 0.06 people named Judas for every 100,000 people. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a, what does that mean? So based on the analysis of 100 years worth of data, the Social Security estimates the population of Judas in America is 329. So in 100 Years there have been around 329 people named Judas. Not Judah, but Judas. Now, why is it we don't name people Judas? It's a very unpopular name. And there's, there's good reason. It's uncommon for a reason. What parent wants their child to be connected to Judas? I really think about it. Would you want your your child to be connected to that. The very mention of his name really conjures up some stereotypes. He's shifty, he's untrustworthy, calculating, double-minded, a shadowy fringe um, member of the group. That's the picture that comes to our mind when we think of Judas. Where does that come from? We'll turn to Matthew 26. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? They gave him thirty pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. John 13, 2. 
The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. In Luke 22, But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. Judas walked over to Jesus, greeted him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Did you see a word that kept getting associated with Judas here? Judas is described as a betrayer. He is described as a betrayer. Judas went to the enemies of Jesus, offering them a way to get to Jesus. He makes a pact with the devil so that he could earn 30 pieces of silver. He used this sign of affection, a kiss on the cheek, as a means of betrayal. Who would want to name their son after that? That's how we see it, don't we? If someone calls you a Judas, they're calling you a sneaky betrayer. That's how we see Judas. But that's not how God saw Judas, and that's not how the other disciples saw him, at least not at first. So what we need to do is take off our blinders of Judas and try to look at Judas at a little bit different angle here. We're going through all the disciples right now, trying to see how God called them, what they were like, and, and how God used them, and Jesus poured into them. And we come to Judas today, and, and Judas was part of Jesus' close friends, the 12 disciples and the apostles. Judas got to witness amazing events. Judas saw Jesus walking on water. He saw thousands fed on the hillside from a little boy's lunch. Judas saw Jesus around the campfire with other disciples laughing and eating. They had sat together on many occasions. They prayed together. They worshipped together. Judas was a road companion and an intimate close friend of Jesus. And just like the rest of the disciples, Judas helped bring people to Jesus. Have we ever thought of that? Judas actually helped bring people to Jesus. He ministered to others. How do we know this? Luke 9. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples, which includes Judas, and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal diseases. Who did he give it to? All 12. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. We never read that Judas failed. Instead, we read that the twelve went out and not just fulfilled what Jesus told them, but enjoyed a ministry success. Judas was good at ministry at one point. Just like the others, Judas had special responsibilities. When you get a group of people together, like this twelve disciples and Jesus making thirteen, moving around from place to place, you kind of start designating, you're going to chop the wood, you're the fire starter, you're going to be the one who scouts up the road ahead, you're going to be the one who holds the purse strings, handling the money. Judas Iscariot was that man. He was the official budget guy. He was given the task because he had a business mind. The other disciples trusted Judas, and so did Jesus. Think about that. They trusted Judas in this position. And what all this demonstrates is that none of the disciples suspected Judas as being the betrayer. In fact, even on the last day before the crucifixion, here they are, they are told about the betrayal. Matthew 26, 
when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. That means Judas is there. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. You know what that tells us right there? No one had suspicion. They didn't sit there and say, I think you mean Judas. They, do you mean me? They all had doubts about that. You don't mean me. None of them were pointing at Judas. Like, I knew something was happening. The, the budget just didn't seem right. I know he skimped a little and he got more food and we got bologna. Instead, each one of them, each one of the disciples is open to the suggestion that maybe it's them. Later in that same evening, the disciples, including Judas, celebrate the Lord's Supper. John 13, Judas said, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant since Jesus was their treasurer. Some thought Jesus was telling them to go and pay for the food or give some money to the poor. Even at that moment, they didn't comprehend that he had turned to Judas, the betrayer. They never thought of that. As far as the rest of the disciples were concerned, Judas was just an ordinary man getting on with the job of ministry. He doesn't stand out as being different from any of the others. And when we stop for a moment and think about Judas, when we think about him from this lens, I think we need to be struck by a very strong, blunt revelation. There is a lot of similarities between us and Judas. You might be shocked that I'd say that, but I, I want us to really hear the truth of this. Isn't it true we're part of the inner circle of Christ, that we are called to be disciples, that we walk in fellowship and relationship with Him? Jesus calls us His brothers and sisters. He calls us His friends. We have looked at the crucifixion and see it's full of compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. We've all felt His touch in our hearts. Every time we open the Bible or have fellowship together, come to church, we can feel His presence. We grow closer in our relationship with Him. Just like Judas, we're part of that circle of believers. And it's true that many of us have participated in discipleship ministry. We've been there. We've seen people come to faith. We've encouraged them. We've brought them along. We have seen sinners growing, changing, working against ungodly habits and characteristics. That's disciple ministry, if especially if we're involved in helping move them on that journey. We've been involved in spreading the Word of God. Like Judas, we've participated in ministry. And isn't it true we've also, by God, been given special abilities and responsibilities? We have different gifts and abilities. We work together in different areas. But as members of God's family, we're called to bring those together and use them for the fulfillment of His church and the ministries. We are the body of Christ working together to build the kingdom just like Judas did. We've been given special responsibilities. And the more I kept looking at this, the more I kept looking in the mirror saying, there's not much difference. In fact, somebody actually told me this morning that I should have shaved off the goatee and, and made it look a little devilish and said, there's a lot of Jude, Judas in me. But I'm not going to tell you it was Jim Platner. But there's a fact that there really is. 
And it should make us sit up and take a little bit of notice at what it takes to be part of the family of God. I'm sure we've all seen a baby eating. It is one of the funniest things to see a baby try to feed themselves. They see the food, they, they're coordinating their hand, trying to get it, they grab it, their mouth opens as wide as it can, and they miss and smear it all over. And we laugh and, and, and do this. And I actually talked to Dustin about this with Sadie, because that was just months ago that she was doing all this. And what ends up happening is the food, some of the food is in their mouth, the rest of it's all over their face, their arms, their hands, the high chair, and the floor. The child doesn't know any better. It's just everywhere. Now, did they get enough nutrition? The food's right there. The food is on the face and the arms. Did it go by absorption into the body? Absolutely not. And a good parent's going to say, okay, now let me finish the job and put the food exactly where it needs to be, making sure they get the nourishment they need, which goes into the mouth. A child cannot just absorb the nutrition. It cannot be just close to it for that body to get and be affected by that. Now take that same analogy and apply it to Judas. If there was ever a man who was prime opportunity to be a saint, that man would be Judas. For three and a half years, he walked with Jesus. For three and a half years, he saw the miracles in the ministry of Jesus. He had Jesus pour into him the words of truth and life. He had hands-on participation in healings and miracles. He was esteemed by the other 11 to be the one most capable at looking after the money and the physical needs of the group. He was an intimate companion, friendship of Jesus. He had prime opportunity, but it doesn't work out that way. Because salvation doesn't happen by absorption. It is not the way people come to faith. You don't become a believer by hanging around and watching other believers. And that's a problem in the church today. We have a lot of people who are living like Judas and trying to have salvation by absorption. And that applies even when the person you're hanging around to is Jesus. Just being close to him isn't enough. Salvation by absorption does not lead to faith. And that truth should really cut many of us to our hearts. And here's why. When we finally see that salvation by absor absorption does not lead to faith, it'll impact the way we raise our children. All Christian parents have a responsibility to make their home is their first mission field, to make sure their home is focused on Jesus and their kids are going that way, to challenge and nurture our children into faith, Bible reading, prayer, sitting together, talking about the Word. Those opportunities need to be shared. I have been to church my entire life. My mom made sure of it. And, and back in the day, which I'm not that old, but apparently I'm getting there, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And if you missed it, you were a sinner. That's just how people thought. You had to go to church, and if there was a, one of those old school revivals, you went, even if it was in another county. You just went to all of them, because my mom wanted to make sure as much Jesus got into her children as possible. We have to share those experiences with them in our homes and do that. But it doesn't always turn out as we hope. 
even the best, and I want to use that term loosely, the best Christian homes have family members or even several family members who do not walk with the Lord, including my family. I have one of my own children who has walked away from God. And I did everything we thought we could. And I look back and say, man, what, what could I have done different? What could... Just being close to Jesus isn't enough. It wasn't for Judas. It isn't enough for our children. When we see salvation by absorption does not lead to faith, it will impact the way we live our lives. Jesus wants us, commands us to be his witnesses. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that if our not yet believing friends around hang on around us, and if they just watch us, they'll be transformed. But it doesn't work that way. It didn't work with Judas. And he had the perfect example to look at. The truth is, Jesus needs to be explained and spoken about, which is what he commanded us to do, if it's ever going to have any chance of being absorbed into the person. Once we truly see that absorption does not work, we are left with the truth that we actually have to go talk to them. And when we see salvation by absorption does not lead to faith, it'll impact our evangelism, our evangelism efforts as a church. The evangelism trap is that we think we need to provide the right environment, the powerful youth programs, dynamic worship services, effective gospel events. We're going to give VBS, and then we're going to have youth events, and we're going to have all these other things. And just by doing those things, it'll provide an atmosphere, and faith will be ignited. Now, it is good to have those things. I'm not saying those are bad things. But having people come into an environment isn't going to generate faith. I went to a World War II museum once. I was surrounded by all of these really cool things, these artifacts and these vehicles. It did not make me a soldier by being close to them. I have sat in the General Lee. I am not one of the Duke boys. And let me date myself again. I have sat in Kit. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there is no way I'm a David Hasselhoff. Okay? Just being close to something doesn't automatically make us something. Just like coming and sitting in one of these chairs does not make you a Christian. You can sit in a race car. It doesn't mean you're going to win the Indy 500. Just being near it isn't enough. And Judas is proof of that. So we look at Judas and our families, those seeking answers, and ourselves. We look at the truth, and it's very clear. Spiritual privilege does not guarantee salvation. I was raised in the church, and yet I still walked away for a time. It wasn't a guarantee. I had to choose it. Spiritual privilege does not guarantee salvation. There's something else at stake here. And we see that by looking back at Judas here. Obviously, Judas missed something essential. So why did Judas become a betrayer? 
Why is it that he left the faith journey with Jesus and turned to 30 pieces of silver? He was well-educated. He came from an area near Jerusalem um, where the cream of society lived. He had good business sense. He knew how to get through life and look after himself in the right way. And before becoming a disciple, I want you to really hear this. Judas was a very practical man. He was very secure in what he could do. He was a self-made man. Jesus arrived at Bethany at one point where Lazarus lived, and here a dinner is given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary takes out a pint of this pure nard and its expensive perfume. It, it wouldn't sell today in uh, stores today. Would you like a bottle of nard? We wouldn't buy that. But back then, it was very expensive. She poured it on Jesus' feet and then used her own hair to rub it in and massage his feet with it. The house at this point was filled with this fragrant smell. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Can you imagine taking something that's worth a full year's salary and pouring it on the feet of someone and then using your hair to rub it in? Judas was a practical man. That doesn't make sense. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but more because he was a thief and keeper of the money bag, and it's a good chance he was helping himself. One for you, one for you, two for me, one for you. There's a good chance of like that was happening. Judas had ulterior motives, but you see the practical side of him kept coming out. He demands a little common sense here. The cost of the perfume was more than the year's wages, and Judas saw it as an enormous waste. I'm supposed to look at this, look after this motley crew of people, and they're throwing money around like it's nothing. This crazy lady gives Jesus the extravagant gift of a $50,000 pedicure. It's not practical. We should do better in our ministry. For Judas, the mission was fast becoming a ministry to be budgeted rather than to have a Savior to serve. And then we look at our agendas and our plans for our church and our ministries. There's a lot of Judas in us at times. Jesus didn't always act in a practical way. In the eyes of many, including Jesus, this was time for revolution. The time for Jesus to declare that he was king, that he was going to rule, and he was going to begin, and he was going to kick out the Romans and set up the Jews as the ruling people. But Jesus didn't follow this thinking. Instead, he preferred to have dinner with the emotionally money-wasting woman, some prostitutes and lepers, instead of making a revolution. What? Jesus was not practical. 
Jesus could have been out rubbing shoulders with the power brokers, the people who could make things happen, who could really pour more money into his ministry. Instead, he spent the most important hours of his life with insignificant people in insignificant villages. And as far as Judas was concerned, it didn't make sense. This isn't the practical way to do anything. And Judas was unwilling to let go of those aspects of life which gave him security in his mind. And even though he was a privileged person to be a disciple, he didn't change just by being near Jesus. He didn't learn that Jesus' ministry is not practical, but it's powerful. Judas couldn't let go of his old life. And because he wouldn't let go of that old life, Satan got a hold of him. The more Judas thought about the impractical nature of the ministry, the more he was tempted to take care of it himself. Come away with the security he could provide. He became more appalled with the waste and careless spending. He started to build a little nest egg with a few coins just for himself. And eventually it came to the point where money was more important than everything else, including Jesus. Thirty pieces of silver. By the time of the Last Supper, greed and Satan had so grasped Jesus' heart that he chose silver rather than Jesus. And he was so close to Jesus physically. And we need to learn from that. And, and here it is. It's possible to live very near Jesus Christ and yet fall away. You can be in church every Sunday and still not be a real believer. You can come to all the events and still not have salvation. It's possible because we can be people who don't allow Jesus to be our full security. Instead, we try to have practical means. For Judas, the issue was money. For us, it could be something else. Maybe it's our skills or our talents, the job we have, the ability to help others, the success of our family, our, our self-success, these others, the esteem that others seem to give us, our looks, our physical strength, or the faith that we place in others, whatever it is, We cannot look at the life of Judas without confronting the truth that there is a potential Judas in each one of us. And I hate that. That makes me uncomfortable. There is something obsessively practical that keeps us from letting go of our securities and following Jesus completely, and that's the same thing Judas had. I mean, if somebody said, I need somebody to get up and actually go to this group of people over here and start talking to them about Jesus, well, well, that's not practical. I can't do that. I have to work tomorrow. Well, I, I don't know if I can financially support that. You know, I've got all these bills. Well, I just don't know enough about that, so I'm going to have to let somebody else who's more qualified and gifted. I, I just, it's not practical. When is following Jesus practical? But always powerful. Judas was the betrayer. But he was also a fool. 
In the end of his life, he took his life because he didn't think there was another way. He, he took the money and tried to give it back, and they wouldn't take it because it was blood money. And then he went out to the side of town and hung himself. And there's two different accounts. One says he hung himself. The other says he fell on rocks and burst open. And they're both correct. He hung himself. And when his body fell, it hit the rocks and split open. What a practical way to die. He was wrong to think there was no other way. Judas wasn't the only one to betray Jesus. In fact, all the disciples betrayed Jesus. Only Judas ultimately forgot that Jesus' very life was about restoration. If the gospel is true, if Jesus' death on the cross means anything, it means that even Judas could have found forgiveness for his sin. Judas did not have to die on the rocks with a noose around his neck. He didn't have to die holding on to his betrayal. Because the same Jesus who prayed for his murderers as they nailed him to the cross, the same Jesus who forgave the thief on the cross, the same Jesus um, who, had given, who had forgiven the man who had kissed him that night, the crowning error of Judas's life was not that he betrayed Jesus, but that he ended his life without fully grabbing on to the grace of God. Even the last possible moment, Jesus was extending his love to Judas. He washed his feet of Judas. It's not practical. But Jesus washed his feet. Jesus had the Lord's Supper with Judas and offered fellowship, but Judas felt he had gone too far. It was too hard to believe. It was too much to hope for. It didn't make sense. And Judas was right. Jesus' forgiveness does not make sense. And we need to know this. It does not make sense. Because Jesus sees within each one of us that Judas. He knows, Donnie, you have done this, you have done this, you have done this. And in the future, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. And yet he continues to love me and forgive me. He washes our feet. He extends to us fellowship. He offers us another chance. That kind of love that can change your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. And, and there are people in this room that need to hear this. It does not matter what you've done. Judas does not have to live in you. Instead, let go of that and let God live in you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what he did. That's the key of this. Judas let go of that. We need to hold on to the fact, the truth of it. The depth of His grace can loosen your grip on any securities that are holding you back. Judas did betray Jesus. In the early hours of the morning, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to the death. The longest night in the history of the world is drawing to a close as they've been doing these mock trials and mocking Jesus. These huge walls of Jerusalem and the pinnacles of the temple emerge out of the shadows of the night. And if we could sit there and look at the city as sunlight is coming and knowing what's going to happen this day, if we could see the shadows of this morning, we would see a solitary figure coming down the winding road, 
this lonely man walking towards the edge of the city, carrying a rope. And he slips into the darkness and is gone. Judas lived as a practical guy. And he died because of it. We do not have to be practical. We can choose to be spiritual. We can choose to let go of the things of this earth so that we can fully commit to God. It is not simply enough to be near God. Okay? We have to be something different. It's not about being near. We have to be committed, obedient. We have to be in Jesus as He is in us. And this doesn't make sense. Look what it says in John 17. Jesus says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, including Judas, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray they will be one. They will all be one, just as you and I are one. He's talking to God, as God and Jesus are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them glory, the glory you gave me, so they may be one as well, or one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given, to, given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Jesus prayed for Judas before his betrayal. He prayed not just for them, but for you. Jesus, before going to the cross, prayed for each one of us. He prayed for true unity between us and between us and God. Several words and phrases not just repeat, but stand out in these verses. And the truth of these words, the truth of this prayer of Jesus did not impact the practical Judas. Will you allow them to impact you? Look at these up here again. And if you go to verse 21, I pray they will be one, will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, and I in them. It's not about being near Him. It's about being in him and him in us. I got the, uh, there's this really cool illustration. And where can you be where there's no shadow? And, and the kids will come up with different answers. Well, you can be on the sun. Well, behind you, there's still going to be a shadow. You can be under the light, and there's still a shadow underneath me. Where can you be? If you're inside the light, there's still shadow in your heart. There's only one place you can be. And have no shadow. And that is in God as He is in you. Because then the light of God shines around you and within you. And when we are that way, it's not practical. But it is powerful. Jesus prayed that we would be in Him as He is in us. Not absorption by being near, but truly united. Judas didn't get that. Judas didn't get that. But we can. 
We don't have to stop and let this day go on without having that opportunity to let go of the practical world, to let go of the securities of this world, and let God in us so that we can be in Him. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't always make sense. But thankfully, God's ways are a lot higher than my ways, and He is a lot smarter than I am. And I can trust Him on that. He's proven it. He has shown it. Will you trust Him? Will you let him draw that line in the sand and say, just step here so I can be in you and you can be in me? Will you let him take away those sins that are holding you back, throw them away so he can pour into you the true message of Christ? We're going to come to a time of invitation, and if you need to make that decision, we want you to know we're ready. That we want to take you into Jesus and have Jesus into you needs to be your choice. Judas chose other, which is why we don't name our kids after him. We don't have to choose that. Let's stand. I'm going to pray, and if you need to make a decision, won't you come as we sing? Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we thank you. I thank you so much, that God, that you did send your son to, to love us, to protect us, to guide us, to save us. And Lord, as we forget so many times, I ask that you would not just continue to forgive us, but show us that light within us and let that light in us shine out for others. Remind us it's not about being near you, but it's being in you, in you in us. I do thank you for the life of Judas, the example that I do not have to follow. And help me to reject the Judas in me so that I can keep you in me. God, I praise you. And in your name we all pray. Amen.